they're going to ask, what are you about? What do you stand for? And where do you come down on these issues that are important to me? It's about living your beliefs, obviously, internally. You can't just put on a cause for a show and expect it to work out. Be a lifelong learner, never to get stuck in a rut. Basic empathy is the thing that people tend to miss. Pull up any page on your site and go to any scroll depth on that page and ask yourself what's in it for the visitor. We're a house of the thousands of brands and so we're marketing everything from our individual resorts to all of the venues within and so it's a it's just a master exercise and in, in really understanding your consumers. Have the courage to be what you are and unless I think you are water you're not going to please everyone. You need to have patience that your abundance and generosity over time will be rewarded. No one's willing to raise their hand and say, you know, should we really do that? And I'm trying to teach my students to be the healthy skeptic in the room and, and raise their hand and say, let's think about this. It's very important to realize that you don't know everything. And I always say that you are an expert in your own life story and you can help others through telling that. I will never forget that moment you know, for the rest of my life. I was so proud of us. Oh, I'll tell you what I dramatically underestimated was the dissent. This is Brand Story, a podcast celebrating the stories of real people who are making an impact on brands, business, and the world around them. Welcome to Brand Story. I'm your host, Steve Gilman. We're doing something a little different with today's episode. We're going to revisit some of my favorite moments, insights, and ideas from some of the episodes we've done over the past year. And I'd like to thank you, our audience, for spending time with us. Our podcast has been kind of blowing up lately, and we're thrilled. So thank you for subscribing and supporting us. And a huge thanks to all of our wonderful guests for being so generous with their time and sharing their inspiring stories. So strap in. I think this will be a fun ride. In this first clip, Matt Williams and Kelly O'Keefe of the Brand Federation share their expert perspectives on the importance of brands being clear about what they stand for. It's fascinating stuff for my fellow brand nerds or leaders out there. Brands can't do the thing they've always tried to do, which is to engage in the world in a way that, that, that turns them into magnetic forces for customers that they want, right? They've, that's always been the job of a brand. The, the environment in which they engage has completely changed. And engagement used to mean, hey, we're gonna steer clear of any kind of controversy, any kind of any kind of opportunity to make a stand because that's polarizing. We don't wanna polarize anybody. The, the world has flipped to a point where any brand who's scared to, to take that stand and scared to risk the polarization, people are just gonna write off as a, as a spineless, meaningless, massive jelly, right? So now, the question people ask is not just what do you sell and does it work and what's it going to do for me? They're going to ask, what are you about? What do you stand for? And where do you come down on these issues that are important to me? And I want to know that before I shell out my money for that thing. And we never really asked that 25 years ago. In fact, if, if, we, if, we, if we ventured into that area, the board pushed us out of the room. No way we're doing that. Now you have to. And activating around that is really important. It isn't just about marketing, right? No, it- Marketing is just a piece of it. I mean, it's about living your beliefs, obviously, internally. You can't just put on a cause for a show and expect it to work out. State Street Advisors did that. Yeah, people try it. Yeah, they built this awesome statue of Fearless Girl uh, who they put in front of the bull on Wall Street. It was a great message that really attacked those companies who treat the women in their company worse than they treat the men. Unfortunately, State Street Advisors was found to pay the women in their firm less than the, they were paying men for the same job. So it blew up in their face. Yeah. So it does have to be honest. You actually have to look and say, am I living by these beliefs? But then if you are, feel free to share. them. It doesn't matter if they align with everyone else. We still admire those organizations that have conviction about who they are. Steve Jobs. Not always the nicest guy, uh, but he built the most valuable company on earth, $2.4 trillion in worth right now, company on earth, based on doing what he thought was important and, and what many other people didn't think was important. Connie Hess, partner and general manager of Valley Engineering and I, had a great conversation about the importance of avoiding career stagnation. 
Her perspective on being a lifelong learner really resonates with me. I think the biggest, the biggest component of growing as a leader is to be a lifelong learner, never to get stuck in a rut. Don't just because things have been done a certain way, always be open to new things. Um, I see so many people go through their careers and they get kind of stuck and they wonder why. And, you know, reaching out to them and doing some coaching. Um, and as we're talking through that, you suddenly realize that they're the problem. The state of mind that they're in, they are the problem because they're not allowing themselves to learn anymore or be open to new things. And I think you see this a lot with um, uh, folks who are starting to exit the, the, uh, the, the job market. Um, but I think it's important to, if, if we start, a, if we start a, a, a process of being a lifelong learner and just keep in the mindset that we continue it on, then I think that, that is a, uh, that's some of the best advice that I could give anybody because getting stuck in your ways does no one any, it, it, no, any good at all. It just it actually makes for, it makes for hard times. Especially for yourself. You know, if you're not willing, I mean, change is inevitable. It's all around you all the time. And so we talk about that constantly here because to be in our line of work, you have to be passionate about learning. You have to be endlessly curious. I love that advice. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, that's, you know, from really successful people I've talked to, I've heard those themes, you know, and I think the people who, who we meet that we find the most interesting and who you can tell are passionate about what they do are always lifelong learners. Absolutely. You know, we have a book club here at work and it ranges, um, you know, anybody, we have quite a few young folks that are in it, um, younger folks. And interestingly enough, we, we have um, read some, in, some books that I would not have read otherwise. Um, spending time like that with your employees, not necessarily, you know, across a desk, but over lunch, you know, you know, in a book club or whatever it is. I love that about um, interacting with my employees from, you know, across the entire company. So uh, that I think is, again, another aspect of who we are and our culture. I had such a fun, fast-moving conversation with Andy Crestadina, co-founder and chief marketing officer of Orbit Media Studios, about some of the most overlooked aspects of both web design and content creation. His perspectives on the fundamentals of what makes a great website or truly successful content marketing is so energizing. Is there something that comes up again and again when you're when you're helping companies think about content? Is there any common problem that companies seem to have? Yeah, it's uh, basic empathy is the thing that people tend to miss. Wow. So if you ask yourself, go pull up any page on your site and go to any scroll depth on that page and ask yourself, what's in it for the visitor? Does this uh, answer a question? Does this address an objection? Does this add evidence to support one of our answers? Um, is it is it clear what the value would be to them? I mean, if you were this person, would you care? And a lot of sites, a lot of pages, just sort of fail that basic test. Um, they don't they don't answer the what's in it for me. Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like that is a problem with almost all marketing, not all sure. marketing. <laughs> like, so true. I mean, I've said those exact words, but I'm not talking about web design. I've said mm -hmm. that about outbound marketing and inbound marketing and literally almost all storytelling. You know, when you, if you tell someone a story from your point of view and you're not thinking about what they get from the story, it's not very good for them. Most sites, it's kind of just, we love us. <laughs> it is. That's what most sites are saying. Yeah. And uh, that's a problem on social media too. It is yeah, all over. All over. A quick example. Uh, I, I was on a call yesterday with a client that, that is um, very frustrated at the slow growth of their Twitter following. Obviously not, a, a, you know, a KPI for most of us. Obviously, a, a wildly overvalued metric in a lot of, uh, for a lot of marketers, but uh, sort of valid in their case because they're super relevant and the Twitter following is tiny. So you're looking at it like, yeah, let's take a minute and think about this. And the bio, the Twitter bio was sort of, we love us. It was like a little bit of mission and a little bit of about us. Anyone can grow their social following faster by writing a bio that sounds more like a call to action. Follow us to get you know, video interviews with business leaders from like, put your content strategy into your Twitter bio and you will see faster growth 
Same same issue, Steve, just what's in it for them? A lot of times when uh, clients and uh, other companies that we work with are like, why don't I get any engagement on social media? Like, why do I only have, I'm doing all this stuff, why do I only have 2,000 followers on Instagram or fill in the platform, really? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, what is it that I'm, you know, if I, if I do this more or I do that more, will it work? And I'm like, well, you might want to add value and help, you know? You might not want to use it as a virtual bulletin board about yourself. Yeah, that is, uh, that's true all over the place. You know, people, uh, it's true in search, uh, as well. Although the audience there is, you know, uh, arguably an algorithm, um, although informed by human behavior and, you know, user interaction signals, but people say, why don't I rank for this phrase? The question, my question next is, well, which of your pages is the most relevant page for that phrase? And they have to think about it and they say, well, maybe this page here. Okay. Question two, why would Google believe this to be one of the top 10 pages on the internet for that topic? And they, and the light bulb moment is, I mean, it's evident on their face. They realized, oh, I have to be good. <laughs> that's, that's, I have yes. to, add, I have to offer actual value here. Hang on a second. Value, please. Yes. Uh, strange, uh, that, 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 that comes up so often. Yeah. Isn't it? And it's a, it's a stubborn problem because I think maybe it comes from the days of people wanting to keep things secret, thinking like, well, if I tell you how to do it, you'll just go do it which I think is a complete fallacy. It's a ridiculous idea. If you tell people how to do something in a detailed way, uh, and the thing is worth doing and it's a difficult thing to do, you're probably writing 2,000 words and you've got six diagrams and uh, you know a bunch of like what ifs and how to's and step by step. The trick isn't you know, stopping someone from doing something themselves and you know, losing business to a DIY visitor. The trick is to get the person to pay attention to this piece you wrote, but is it going to get halfway through and stop? Right. You know, and uh, and some of those people will get halfway through, stop, and call you and ask for help. So uh, I can't. It's in the millions, right? The amount of uh, revenue we've generated by by publishing long form, detailed, search optimized how to articles. Um, it is, in fact, the key to our success. I had the opportunity to talk with Sarah Moore who is the Senior VP of Marketing for MGM Resorts International. She has such a huge job overseeing the marketing for an immense house of brands. She and her team are some of the most talented, detailed marketers out there. We talked about the importance of truly understanding your consumers and the art of connecting with them on a personal level. If you're a marketer, you'll love to hear what Sarah has to say. So what does your day-to-day look like? I can't imagine with the, the amount of properties you have and trying to keep the brand messaging consistent. What what does it what does it look like for you? Well, actually, to use your word, it's inconsistent. There is no consistency <laughs> whatsoever in not only my day to day, but how we market. Um, you know, we're we're a house of thousands of brands, and so we're marketing everything from our individual resorts, which we have, you know, over thirty of them, to all of the venues within. And so it's a it's just a master exercise in in really understanding your consumers and consumer segmentation and. Um, identifying, you know, to your point, like different tribes flock to different brands. And so how do you, how do you keep them excited and continue to build that customer love within, within those pools for each one of the individual brands, but then also create that connectivity of the portfolio itself and what MGM Resorts stands for. Um, it's something, it's, it's a challenge for us. Not everybody still to this day understands the 30 different plus brands that are within our portfolio. So and then, you know, layer on a pandemic to boot and <laughs> Good times. It, it's complexity um, to the nth degree for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, the each one of your 30 plus properties all have a unique personality and they're even, you know, they're products or brands that are intended for certain audiences. So a customer of the Bellagio is going to be very different than a customer of, say, Vidara. Absolutely. Or any of the others. There's so many. So I'm... Uh, I'm amazed at how consistent you all manage to be property to property. You know, one of the one of the re- reasons I love coming to Las Vegas is that it's a masterclass in marketing every time you go. You know, if you open your eyes, you're seeing the best in the business. And I, I think it really is, as you said, it's each one of our resorts has a persona. It's it's built, it's experienced for for a very specific person, a very 
specific customer type. And we, we take that very seriously. We have very specific and rigorous brand guidelines for every single one of these 30 plus brands. And it's not just what does a piece of social content look like in the voice of a Bellagio or the voice of a Vidara, but it's everything down to what does that look like when you step foot on property? How does how is that reflected in room? Um, it's about the entire customer journey and staying true to that individual brand persona because uh you know we're a company of MA and all of these brands lived even before you know MGM Resorts and its current design lived and so how do we retain that equity but what's interesting is every single one of those brands and how they're designed they do all ladder up to the corporate brand which is MGM Resorts and MGM Resorts really stands for, you know, entertainment. And, and we believe that entertainment is a fundamental human need. We believe that it's as important as water, shelter, clothing, um, food. And so um, how you're entertained, though, looks very differently because entertainment isn't just traditionally, you know, performances on stage it's a really good meal it's a spa treatment it's you know laying in your room and ordering room service that's entertainment that's entertainment for me quite personally it is um, <laughs> yeah i think that that's entertainment for a lot of people yeah so how that entertainment you know really is delivered within the parameters of each one of those brands that's that's really how we how we focus on kind of our, our brand marketing strategy yeah that's fascinating because the the level of detail that it goes down to. I don't know how intentional, I'm assuming very intentional, but you know, if you, for just for instance, we've used the Bellagio and Vidara as an example, they have a different smell even. They do. You know, at Bellagio, you get the the fresh flowers of the atrium when you walk in, but Vidara has this very like distinct smell when you walk in and it's very spa-like, very refreshing. Yeah, it has light. notes of vanilla. Yes, and, it does. And lotus flower. And yep. it, it's it's a very real thing. Each one of our brand guidelines actually includes a very specific, distinct smell that we design custom for each one of our resorts. And what's what's really fascinating, I love that you picked up on that, is we don't change that ever. And and we have had situations where we've changed it for one reason or another. But if you walk into Aria or you walk into Vidara, we are actually you know, pumping out the brand scent for you to, you know, again, capture all those senses. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a committed brand nerd and, and marketing nerd. So one of my favorite things to do, and this sounds, everyone goes to Las Vegas for a different reason. Uh, for me, a lot of it is that I've been studying the marketing in Las Vegas for years and years and appreciating it. And just, it is actually a masterclass. So if you take a little time and put in put on your marketing hat and walk property to property, you know, there's an emotional feeling you get when you walk into Vidara versus Bellagio versus Aria. I couldn't have wrote this script for you any better. Thank you. <laughs> You're Show welcome, but you did it. Incredible team. Yeah, well, compliments to them because somebody's out there noticing. Yeah, you know, and I know a lot. A lot of times, things like that does at that level of detail. You know, people experience it, but they don't acknowledge it. And it's to me, it's a form of artistry. It's storytelling, and I I really appreciate the level of detail that you go to because it, it does actually matter and it pays off. Thank you, and I appreciate that. And it is um, it is very intentional. And even to the point of how our marketing team, quite honestly, is structured. You know, we don't just have marketing a marketing team sitting in corporate kind of pulling all the strings. We have marketing um, directors of marketing that live at the property, and that's their job. Their job is to live, breathe that brand and ensure that it is intentional across kind of all aspects of the experience. So it's, um, it's we're designed that way. Patricia Corsi is the Global Chief Marketing and Digital Officer for Bear Consumer Health. And this moment from our conversation is just a brief glimpse into what an extraordinary brand marketer and empathic leader she really is. Her perspectives on brand purpose are so important to hear for both marketers and leaders alike. If you're interested in strong, authentic brands, please check out our full episode when you get a chance as well. I watched your keynote um, at marketing lead at the Marketing Leaders Summit, and uh, it was on purpose as a priority. And I really love that. I love the title, and I love what you had to say. Can you can you talk speak to um, how you think a brand's purpose should inform its marketing? So thank you very much for watching. By the way, um, I really enjoyed um, that session as well. 
So look, I think if, if we start from the beginning, uh, the most important thing is to make sure that we have clear strategies. We have informed strategies that come from the right places, you know, consumer-centric, customer-centric, that adds value to the consumer, the customers, and the shareholders. If, if we are having strategies that deliver against that, I think we are doing a good service overall. Um, the purpose for me is, is that red line that guides you on what are the things that your brand is entitled to talk about or not entitled to talk about genuinely and authentically, right? Because I think this is also a very testing time for marketeers because it feels like every brand needs to talk about every single topic, even when there is absolutely no correlation. Like how many COVID ads you have seen where when a brand that had nothing to do with anything was saying, we are on this together, you know, hang in there. And and people see through those things, right? So I, I think that the role of purpose is really it's really, you know, how do you use it to add value to the people that you're serving? So I can give you immense examples in, in different uh, in, in different categories, but let me pick one that is outside of the ones that I work today. So if I pick, for example, foods, you know, fast-moving consumer good foods, there is a, mice, a massive crisis in both ends of the spectrum, right? So we still have a lot of people starving and we still have a lot of food being thrown away. There's, there is food enough that is being thrown away that could feed everyone that is starving. This is something that if you have a brand in foods that was born out of purpose to feed the nation, to provide good nutrition, if you're not doing anything about it, you're not living your purpose genuinely and authentically. And actually not doing anything is worse. Yeah. Because you know what I mean? You, so you, because you, it takes courage to do some of this movement. So when I was working for Dirty's Good, for example, um, a laundry brand where it's all about getting dirty because detergent clean. And we start talking about how dirt was good. It was so counterintuitive, but getting dirty is part of learning and kids without the dirt, without the stumbles, without the falls, they will never develop to be brilliant human beings. And even with their health, right? Because you build the human system by, you know, playing with, uh, you know, with dirt and sand and all of those things. So the brands who were born out of purpose, and there is a, a wealth of brands in that area that do not take a stand, they are actually as guilty as the ones that are trying to take a stand on something that is not authentic. Um, but the ones that are trying to do something just to jump on the, on the wagon they get a worse rep. But at least, and I'm going to say probably something a bit controversial, I commend, I commend them for at least trying. Because it's, you know, there is no playbook, there is no blueprint that says step one, step two, step three to a life in purpose for your brand, right? So at least they are trying, at least they are doing something to try to deliver this value added. Uh, for me, the ones who have everything and not doing anything, for me, these are the ones that are really find difficult to to understand. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think what you said about being authentic from the point of view of joining a conversation when it's appropriate and not just joining in on everything. And, you know, the other part of that is if you don't stand for something, you don't stand for anything. You've got to you've got to take a stand somewhere. You know, I, I always think of brands. What are you for and what are you against? You know, there's got to be some polar, polarization there of how, what position you're taking. And uh, I, I love the, we could talk all day about the get dirty work you did, the <laughs> campaign. I love that. That's some of the best work I've seen. So what is one key piece of advice that you wish more brands would follow? Well, I think, I think we were, we were, you know, navigating a little bit in this area. It is really to build up um courage. Uh, and I, I think you said something super important that is sometimes saying what you don't stand for and what stand is as important as what you stand for. But this takes courage to make a stand. And so my, the way I'm going to express is we need to the average because sometimes the brands wants to be everything to everyone and they end up being nothing to everyone. So 
I think there is a lot of respect, yeah, for brands that they they stand for something and they are firm into that, even if that is not your personal area of passion. Um, but there is that respect for the courage, for you know, it's. I think we cannot think that brands are not like people in a way, right? So we respect people that take a stand. Of course, take a stand respectfully. Take a stand, you know. Sometimes saying what you believe in, what you stand for, doesn't mean attacking someone else. And I think the tonality is important. Yeah. Absolutely. Have the courage to to try to make a stand. If you make a mistake, have the courage to come back and say, you know, we blew it, um, but we learned. This is what we have learned. And and I think this would make um, I think would make better, um, more informed um, consumers about what the brands stand for. Um, versus that average vanilla you know let's please everyone appeal to everyone yeah i mean when people are like that they're pretty uninteresting and you know when you if you think of a brand as a person be it's so hard for brands to be themselves sometimes and they want to weigh in on everything and just they make themselves meaningless and you cannot talk with property about every single subject and and i and and how many brands do we see today that they want to talk, you know, whatever is the, the cultural relevant topic, you know, LGBTQ, all, all Black Lives Matter, um, you know, uh, female payment in sports, you know, whatever is happening, they want to make because they want to be part of all the conversations. And, and sometimes people look and say, you know, you sell toilet paper, what do you have to do with that? And there are moments, you know, I, I, and by the way, there are some fantastic toilet paper uh, campaigns now that they found the thing that they do, which I, I think it's it's amazing. But um, I think this is it. I think finally, you know, have the courage to be what you are. And, and unless I think you are water, you're not going to please everyone. You're not going to be, you know, unless you're water, sleep, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I think that uh, not playing cause bingo, I think is really important. You see a lot of brands do that, just jump from one to another to another. Jay Harrington, president of Harrington Communications, is one of the best content marketers I know. He's a prolific writer and an expert communicator. And one of my favorite people I follow on LinkedIn. In this moment from our conversation, Jay talks about having an abundance mindset and the commitment to helping others with your content. If you produce any kind of content, you'll want to listen to this one. People make decisions um, as a result of emotions, not necessarily intellect or logic. So, you know, they um, and, and stories are what evoke emotion. And so I think that the ability to tell an interesting story about yourself, about your business, about your background is what allows you to create that positive association with you and your ideas and the solutions you provide in a way that just mere, you know, talking about characteristics and qualities and and services just can't accomplish. Um, and so I think that that's, that's really important. Um, and, you know, for just to give the example from our world or our domain, you know, with providing services to lawyers and law firms, you know, when when it's when it's you, the um, you know, the lawyer or the professional who is actually doing work for clients and also responsible for developing that business, um, the ability to tell effective stories that people resonate with um, is is what is really the foundation, I think, of marketing and business development in, the, in those fields. And the ability to tell effective stories really um, results from paying attention to your day-to-day -day work and lived experience, right? It's those, you know, I, when, I, when I coach or train people on like creating content for LinkedIn, for example, it's all about paying attention. It's never, content creation is never uh, an issue that relates to you know the notion of writer's block, right? It's always idea block. Like it's not no, not knowing how to write. It's having ideas to write about. Um, and when you pay attention to you know questions that clients ask you or struggles you've had in the past where you've learned lessons from that experience, 
or, you know, just whatever things that you learned coaching your daughter's soccer game this past weekend. That's the kind of thing that resonates and builds an audience and allows you to have a platform um, that pe people pay attention to. So I think that that notion that it's not about, you know, it's not about how much you know, but it's your ability to connect on an emotional level with an audience. And that's done through storytelling that really you know, helps you build your brand or, um, you know, create connections with people through your content that you can't do any other way. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of, uh, physician leaders and CEOs and CMOs and uh, a lot of people who aren't marketers or aren't storytellers, you know, they want to sell or they want to give you a bunch of proof points or they want you to talk about benefits, but people do them buy emotionally and defend it logically. They don't buy logically and defend it emotionally usually. So emotion plays a big part. And one of the things I've seen you talk about on LinkedIn, because I see, you know, you see people on LinkedIn that are always selling. And then you see people on LinkedIn that are just being human and telling stories that are engaging people. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably a muscle that a lot of people don't have, you know, or they haven't developed yet. So, you know, if you've, if you've, been in a culture or a big business where you're just supposed to sell and you're both just supposed to talk about the benefit you bring, you don't think about, you know, I'm just going to be a person and tell stories that will engage others. But you talk a little bit about having an abundance mindset on LinkedIn. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I found that really fascinating. Yeah. So this is the notion that, you know, being generous on a platform like LinkedIn and by ge being generous, I mean, sharing what you know, um, you know, being, being very um, open and honest and sharing your ideas in a way that are helpful to people, um, that, you know, that allows people to be attracted to you and, and want to follow what you have to say. Um, commenting on and supporting other people's posts and their efforts to, to gain an audience on the platform. When seeing that someone is looking for a job, trying to look out for that person, um, just generally coming to the platform with a mindset that, um, you know, I think, I think I, I wrote a post a couple weeks back. And if, if you would come to LinkedIn and say, instead of who can help me here, um, who can I help here? You're going to find a much greater level of success because the, the law of, or the rule of reciprocation does kick in. Um, so if you can give as much as possible without any expectation of reciprocity from those you're, you're trying to be helpful to, um, you know, the, the universe sort of rewards your, your abundance. And I can't tell you why that is exactly. Um, I can't tell you the exact like science behind it all. Um, but I've seen it work over and over. And, you know, we've, we also see the counter example that which is, you know, sort of a scarcity mindset where someone's always pitching, um, someone is always holding back. Um, someone is always, uh, you know, thinking that whatever attention someone else is getting, it's robbing right. them of their opportunity for attention. Uh, you know, all of these things, and and great way to live. Yeah, exactly, and and you know, it just it's just the way it is. So I think if you can have that that abundance mindset and be and and with that abundance mindset comes patience too, right? I mean, we're always in a hurry. We we think that, and this is always frustrating with clients, right? Where they they think. Oh, marketing, everything should be a big splash that has an instant impact. And that's just not the way it works, especially in especially in businesses um, like legal services where, you know, to go from the point at which a prospective client becomes aware of you to the point at which they're going to hire you involves a whole lot of trust building. And, you know, you you need to have patience that your abundance and generosity um, over time will be rewarded. Um, because if you come with that scarcity mindset, you're, you're going to turn people off. I couldn't agree more companies that we work with. We've been their, their agency for 10 plus years because we just show up every day trying to help. Like we're not trying to sell. We're not trying to get them to do something. We're actually just trying to help. And I think that abundance mindset, I think applies to life. It applies to social media. And I, I see people respond to that on social media over and over again especially on LinkedIn, because when you cheer someone else on, it doesn't cost you a thing. You know, it isn't taking away from your accolades, it isn't taking away from your business, you know, 
there's a big enough pie for all of us out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, it's the way it is. Just, just go on and observe, you know, I always tell my clients that who are, who are like, I haven't, I can't figure this LinkedIn, LinkedIn thing out. It's just, just pay attention. Um, and you'll see, you'll, you'll notice the patterns, you'll, you'll spot the connections and you'll, you'll be able to witness like what is working on the platform. Um, and of course, you know, there's a difference. There's, there are people who are, pitch all the time and seem to get a lot of engagement on their posts and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder whether they're actually that attention is translating into what we all want, which is business. Um, I think they're two different things. Whereas I know, I mean, certainly my approach, I, once in a while, you know, I think Gary Vaynerchuk uses the term um, jab, 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 right yeah, hook. Like, yeah. Every once in a while, you can throw a right hook. But you know, you want to build up the goodwill such that that right hook actually lands with people. And that's, that's by, you know, mostly giving value over time. And, um, you know, I, I know that I almost never, you know, if I have a new book coming out or something, yeah, I'll, there'll be some promotion related to that. But, you know, I post every day on, on LinkedIn, sometimes twice. It's, it can be a bit obnoxious, I'm sure for some people. Oh, actually, but, um, I love it. Yeah. But it's almost never, I mean, at least I try never to be overtly promotional with any of the content. Um, and yet, despite that, you know, my my clients are smart enough to figure out like, well, if, you know, I seem to like what this guy has to say. I at least want to maybe, I'm, I'm provoked enough to have a conversation, understand what he does to help people like me. And that's always the starting point for new business. On an early episode of our podcast, I talked with Scott Whithouse, professor of visual storytelling and digital media at the VCU Brand Center and a great friend of mine. Scott is such a detailed and knowledgeable storyteller and his perspectives on why we all need to have a healthy skeptic in the room, you just can't miss. So I have a question about, you've worked with so many different brands mm -hmm. like throughout your career and not naming any names or anything, but you know, still to this day, what do you think are the common visual storytelling and mistakes that brands make? Um, that, that one is pretty easy, Steve, because I, I teach that to my students all the time. You know, I see, you know, quite honestly, I look at it in the Super Bowl ads a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I see visual execution before concept and story. Um, and, you know, if, if you, and I try to tell my students, they, they will come to me with an idea and I say, I'll tell them what's the concept. And they say, well, the concept's about these two people walking down the street and it's going to be in black and white and it's going to be snowing. I said, no, 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 that's, that's the execution. What's the concept? Well, they're walking down the street and it's snow. No, 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 no. What, you know? And then, then we start dissecting. I said, what problem are you solving? And then we can get to a concept from that idea of problem solving. Um, you know, and, and that is the biggest, you know, that is the biggest error I see all the time. Uh, you know, uh, I actually have a, a and, and, and quite honestly, also, I, I see a lot of things go out on the air and, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to count what's on the web because that's a bit of the Wild West, but I see a lot of things go out on the air and my wife and I will look at each other and go, who approved that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I, I've actually got an entire class I do now called the Healthy Skeptic. Uh, where, you know, in, in the ad industry, especially, you know, a lot of the agencies have been bought up and they're all part of conglomerates. And um, uh, I, I found a post on LinkedIn by a gentleman named Derek Walker about the, the lack of the healthy skeptic in the room anymore. And that's how stuff gets out, you know, because no one's willing to raise their hand and say, you know, should we really do that? You know, should we really do that? And it came crystal clear to me about four years ago watching the Super Bowl and there was a Dodge truck spot that used part of a sermon from Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, I remember that. So remember that one? Yep. So I looked at my wife, Pamela, and I said, you know, that doesn't feel right. I, I'd love to have been in that room. Well, then I, I so I, I kept that spot, and then I started digging a little deeper into that sermon. And you can find it on the air. There's some people who have been very clever. They found the rest of the sermon and put it to the visuals. And it was about the evils of materialism you know, and talked about advertising people are very good at their jobs to make you want to buy that car or buy, you know, so that commercial and then finding that other part of the sermon started me looking at other things of like, how did this get out there? And I'm trying to teach my students to be the healthy skeptic in the room and, and raise their hand and say, let's think about this. You know, maybe there wouldn't have been a Pepsi moment, 
years ago uh, with with one of the Kardashians, I think. And, and and there's so many things you see on the air. And as I started digging into things, I kept finding more and more and more. And it's like, where was the healthy skeptic? And and you know, the, the, these big conglomerates have kind of pushed that down. If you if you disagree, you you are not a team team player. You know, that, that's kind of, and, you know. And I tell my students, if you raise your hand and you feel, you know, you've made a good point and it's a point that's true to your moral compass and they fire you for it, you shake their hands and say, thank you very much. This, you know, I'll, I'll be on my way now because that's not where you want to be, right? I got to spend some time talking with George Pace, who is an accomplished leader in both the nonprofit and for-profit worlds. His advice around the importance of surrounding yourself with people who add to your skill sets and keeping an external focus in business are just the tip of the iceberg of the valuable leadership advice he shares. No matter how well you plan and how well you think you got your act together, uh, the what you don't know, you don't know. and And, that's a very important thing to realize because as we, I think when we're younger, we think we're bulletproof and we know everything. I, at one time I had that attitude and, and I'm not necessarily, you know, you change over time because experiences. And I think that um, it's very important to realize that you don't know everything and that you, which requires you to you do two things when that happens. One, you, you figure out what it is that you don't, that you're not very good at because no one's good at everything. And you make sure you have people around you that are really good at whatever it is you're not good at. And then the second thing is um, you've always got to be focused externally. People become uh, very inwardly focused because it's something they can control and they like doing that. It's all in the internal process. And I get all that. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But the fact of the matter is that the competitive nature of business is such that if you don't keep a focus externally um, and spot the surprise before it becomes a crisis, you're in trouble. And that's, I think that's one of the major things that I've learned along the way, uh, which I don't know, years ago, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I think that's excellent advice. I think when people are at the beginning of their careers or at the, even sometimes at the prime of their career, they don't have the wisdom to know, I'd better get some people around me that are good at things that I'm just not good at. And so that when that crisis or that surprise does come, I've got a team in place that's complimentary. You can't be threatened by people that are better than you at different things. And I think, I think that's incredibly important. Callie Schweitzer is the head of the Creators Program at LinkedIn. I started following Callie's work early on, and she inspired me to create the kind of content that I put out today. I love this moment where Callie talks about LinkedIn as a platform for generosity. I like to say LinkedIn is a platform of generosity. It's a place to think we before me. And I think, Steve, what you're capturing is that vibe, that feeling that at the center of LinkedIn, it is about connecting people to opportunity, economic opportunity. And that is the ethos that our members bring. And I think that's something that is so critical to maintaining a platform that feels like a discussion, that feels conversational and not like broadcast. You know, my idea with this podcast was somewhat inspired by your work. And I don't know if you know that. So no. I wanted to tell you that, yeah. So absolutely, because, you know, I think there's a lot of self-promotion. It's like people who sell on LinkedIn, they're just relentless about trying to get you to buy something. And I think the art of just telling people stories is something that needs to come back. And it's, it's an act of generosity and it's an act of being actually interested. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're not just trying to get your value proposition in every other word, you know? Yeah. So sometimes so not being about you is actually the best thing you can do. Totally. And it's interesting because a lot of people say to me, what should I say on LinkedIn? I, I'm not interesting. I don't know anything. Right. And I always say that you are an expert in your own life story and you can help others through telling that. But I also think about content on LinkedIn in really four categories. One being knowledge. You are sharing what you know. You are sharing yourself as a curator. You are sharing yourself as 
someone who just listened to a podcast that everybody needs to listen to, somebody who is pointing people to something based on a personal recommendation. Then I think about opportunity, right? This is what LinkedIn is really well known for. This is, hey, I've seen a job or, hey, there's an opportunity to mentor somebody through going through this program, right? That is like, you'll see that everywhere. Then there's community, bringing people together, finding ways in which you can use your knowledge or expertise to bring people into community with each other in a conversation. And then lastly, I always say amplification. It's about other people, putting the spotlight on other people. That is what generosity is. And I, I like to say, there's a halo effect too, right? Just by posting, hey, I'm so proud of this awesome person who just was interviewed here. It's like, you know that awesome person, right? And now that awesome person is also like, hey, this is great. This is really cool. They, they promoted me, right? And I think that's so important. The idea of just having champions, no matter who they are, what level they are, where you find them in your career. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of it that I've learned from a lot of people like you on LinkedIn, uh, you know, Jay Harrington, a bunch of other people who, you know, Jay talks about the abundance mindset. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is so important is not to have a goal. And, you know, we go through life and business having so many goals. But when you're meeting people, and especially when you're interviewing someone, not having an agenda is so important. Like you don't want an end result. That's not what, so if you're networking or if you're meeting people and you're making relationships, just, just enjoy making relationships and see what happens later. Yes. And it's so interesting. I quit my job when I was 29. I had a C-suite title. I was working at an awesome company. I had everything on paper. And one of the things I realized is that I didn't know who I was without my job title. I didn't know who I was. You mentioned time, right? Callie from time. Was I getting invited places because I was Callie from time? Or was I getting invited places because I was Callie? I didn't know. I didn't know. And that was something that I had the incredible privilege of having built up the financial stability to quit my job and say, I need to figure out who I am outside my job title. And one of the most important things that I found was that the people who are there for you, regardless of your status, your title, your position, what you can give them, those are the true connections in life who matter. Those are the relationships worth investing in. Yeah, that's a great point and something to keep in mind as you move forward through your career. And good for you for having the guts to do that because I think a lot of times, you know, when you're ambitious or you're talented, you start to get involved in doing things. You feel good when you get promoted. And there are times, though, you end up somewhere where you're like, is this really me? Absolutely. Is this really what I want? So good for you for asking those questions. I think that's going on a lot with people right now. In this moment, you get to hear from one of my all-time favorite guests, Kristen Cavallo, CEO of The Martin Agency. I was blown away by this fast-paced, complex conversation. Kristen talks about the nature of fear in work and life and the challenge of the descents that come after peak experiences. It's a great moment from a really interesting episode. So how has fear impacted you? And where is that line for you? Like, where is the line between fear and adventure? You know what? It's, it's a, such a good question um, because I, sometimes people will say to me, oh, you're fearless. And in fact, Steve, that is 100% not true. Like... <laughs> Um, I am incredibly motivated by fear and, and I, and, and I know that makes it actually sound positive, but I will tell you fear for me is a, um, it is a close ally and it is a, it is also a close, um, you know, devil in my ear. It is, um, it is something that I know affects my psyche. And so, um, I have tried to, learn to live with it. And so when I'm not at work, I will purposefully choose to do things that um, I am scared to do because I want, I believe that if I get to the end of whatever that thing is, that I will have learned to trust myself or my gut, or I, I do put my faith in others. So um, my son and I hiked Kilimanjaro and we got Paddy Water Certified, Open Water Certified. And recently I hiked this trail called the Salcante Trail into Machu Picchu. And all of them, I would tell you, I was 100% unprepared for. I mean, like, that, I, I'm not, um, 
I am, I'm, I'm a normal human. I'm not one of these people that, you know, does Ironman types of activities. I've never done a triathlon. Like I bought my hiking boots before going to Kilimanjaro. Like I bought them at REI. I bought hiking sticks. These were not things that I owned previous to this. And so some might say that's just a high level of stupidity, but I did, you know, I trained, I got a backpack and I put 30 pounds of laundry in it. And I got on the stair climber and watched Law and Order SVU. But I'll tell you when we reached the top and my son turned around and looked at me and he had kind of tears in his eyes um, I will never forget that moment, you know, for the rest of my life. I was so proud of us. I'll also tell you what I dramatically underestimated was the descent. And um, for if I had done a little bit more homework, I would have found that most people that hike would tell you that the majority of accidents and, and injuries happen on the descent, not on the climb. And um, and that is no joke. I 100 percent have learned to value the descent of anything I think is actually in some ways harder than the journey up because the, you know, when we just said to ourselves three years ago, we're going to be agency of the year. Like we were like eight ball corner pocket. We're going for it. And we all marshaled together and we were like, yeah. And, um, and then you get it. And then you're like, well, what now? And you see that like the adrenaline crashes and people split because they have like they've got the accolade and they've worked really hard and it's always been in pursuit of this thing. And then to keep the team together, to keep emotions going, to we had to set another goal and then another goal um, in order to continue to have that momentum and that hunger, I think. Um, and so it's I, I had underestimated, I think the importance of the descent in, in all of that. And I think that I've, that I've learned a valuable lesson. That's a great lesson. And it takes a great leader to get people through the descent. Yeah, I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm rooting for you guys for three years in a row. So you, you keep at it. It would, it would, we would be the first. I know that's it why I was, happened. it never happens. So I've got, I'm in your corner, but you know, the, to go back to your football analogy, that's why teams don't repeat Super Bowl wins very often. Yeah. Same exact reason, you know, the, Peak, peak experiences are hard on the descent. They are. You're exactly right. Thank you for joining me today for this special episode of Brand Story. We have some great new episodes coming out soon with extraordinary guests like Claude Silver, Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia, Lebo Lyon, the voice of South African marketing, and Terence Suplatz, former speechwriter for President Obama. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share our podcast. It means a lot to us. And a final thank you to the amazing crew here at Gravity Group, whose hard work makes these episodes possible. Riley, Mark, Stephanie, Taylor, Lindsay, thank you for your excellent work and your commitment to great storytelling. Thanks for listening.